Father, we thank you that this morning we can place all of our hope in you. That where the world may have promised certain things to us and let us down and so we've wanted to, to keep our hope reserved for fear of being let down again. That Lord Jesus, this morning when we look to the cross, we see that you put all of your hope in your son Jesus and what he could accomplish on the cross. And so Father, we thank you for what you've done in us, through us and for us upon that cross that now we can have a sure and steady place to place our hope and that all our hope can be found in you. So Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, give the worship team a round of applause. Give yourselves a round of applause. It's beautiful. So uh, it's Sunday fun day. We've got a lot of kids uh, in and around the place today, which is really, really exciting. And um, I don't know if you know this, some of you might know, but although I've uh, been here on staff for 17 years uh, now, before uh, I was on staff here, I was a teacher. And uh, before I was a teacher, I was a geologist, and so I was kind of supposed to be a high school science teacher when I went to do uh, teaching because of my chemistry and geology background. Uh, but I actually got a job teaching grade two, three, and four uh, in a school that doesn't necessarily exist anymore. There was a lot of issues, a lot of, a lot of problems within uh, the school. And so I was this 20-something-year-old, uh, no experience, and I was thrown into this classroom. And it was actually the second most underprivileged school in the state. So you can imagine that there was lots of behavioural issues and so most of my time was spent trying to, trying to deal with that. There were kids that were stabbing each other, one kid pulled a star dropper out of the ground and went to try and hit people and there was this kind of this culture where uh, people would run off, like the, the kids would try to run home and so I didn't know what to do, like some of my kids were as young as seven and so I was concerned for their safety if they were like running out to the road and things like that. So I asked the principal, like, what, what do I do? Like, what should I do? And he's like, you have to go chase them down and just bring them back. <laughs> and so I was a lot faster back then. And I remember one day, uh, this one young guy, he was, even though he was only seven, he weighed 52 kilos. And so he was kind of easy to chase down, but he was very hard to bring back. So I had to... <laughs> had to carry him back in my arms and I'm kind of struggling as I'm, as I'm carrying him back all the way back to, back to class. Um, but I just thought, oh, things are, things are hopeless. I can't see any improvement in their academic standard. I can't see any improvement in, in their behavioural stuff. Like, I, I, I must be a terrible teacher and they're even worse kids. And uh, that's kind of what I thought. But then this, this miracle happened I got sick. <laughs> now, I hate admitting that I'm sick. I, I, I don't like taking sick days or anything like that. So I decided that uh, I was, you know, 
particularly, I didn't want to inflict a relief teacher on these kids, and so I thought, well, I'm, just, I'm still going to rock up to work. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't speak. I'd, I'd, lost, uh, I'd lost my voice, and so I thought, this is going to be the worst day ever, because the little control that I do have over the class by being able to raise uh, my voice uh, above Wendy's uh, chair... <laughs> You're right, Wendy. We love you, Wendy. Let's give Wendy a round of applause. We love you, Wendy. No, so that ability was kind of taken away, and so, uh, so I thought, this is going to be the worst day ever. But it was actually the best day ever. They, no one ran away, no one pulled a star dropper out of the ground and tried to chase after other people. Uh, in fact, the, the, the class was as quiet as they had ever been and they just sat down and they got to work because they had compassion on me. They saw that I couldn't speak and they knew that I genuinely loved them and so they, in turn, responded and, um, and was quiet and got to work. And even though... I was only sick for that one day, I only lost my voice for that one day. That one day drastically changed everything. They never went back to behaving the way that they, that they did because even though they'd been told that they were you know, the worst class in the worst school in the state, uh, they behaved accordingly, but then they saw that things could be different. I saw that things could be different. And I think that for us, with our Christian walk, we need to be able to see that things are going to be different. We need to be able to see the plans and purposes uh, of, of God. Because if we can first see it, then we can be it. But we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate the picture of where He wants to take us. In Matthew 6, Jesus says this, The eye is like a lamp to the body. Suppose your eyes are healthy. The whole body will be full of light. Suppose your eyes can't see well. Then your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light inside you is darkness, then it is very dark. So basically what this passage of Scripture is saying is that we need God to bring light to our eyes, to, to show us the future, a, a picture of what can be. To show us like that one day showed that class the best version of themselves, a picture of what could be. So we too need a picture of our best selves, of what can be when we are filled and led by the Holy Spirit. And this is what scripture does, and this is the life that we are called to. And it's partly what we as a church are also called to do. That One of the reasons that we gather together is because oftentimes in our world, when we look at ourselves, we kind of just see darkness. But hopefully as we gather together that we actually, part of the, the role of us as a community is that we get to see the light, the light of Christ in 
other people and call that light out of them. Give them a picture of what, what they're called to. But what is actually the context of this passage of Scripture where Jesus himself is talking about our eyes being opened or our eyes being dimmed? So we're going to read the passage um, that comes straight after that and then we'll read the passage that comes before it to try and see what can actually illuminate our vision and what can dim our vision more than anything else. So Matthew uh, 6 verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters at the same time. You will either hate one of them and love the other or you will be faithful to one and dislike the other. You can't serve God and money at the same time. So we're talking today about money. That Jesus is actually saying that nothing can dim our eyes more to the things of God than money. The love of money, the love of what money can bring us. And I know you're probably like me, I, I don't like talking about money in church because for many of us, money has become this barrier between them and the church. Because they think, well, church is just after our money. But I pray that today that we will all capture a vision of what could be, of maybe the fact that you've felt that way in the past is maybe less about the fact that the church does actually want your money and maybe it's more about the fact that we've all succumbed to this master that is money, that is controlling, that monopolizes our time and our talents and our treasure is to acquire this thing called money and it's a, it's a terrible master is what Jesus is actually saying to us. But if we choose instead to make Jesus our master, then he is a good master that's kind and loving and that is giving. He's always giving towards us, not taking from us. The passage that comes before it, uh, Jesus says this, uh, starting at verse 19. It says, Don't gather for yourselves riches on earth. Moth and rats can destroy them. Thieves can break in and steal them. Instead, gather for yourselves riches in heaven. There, moth and rats do not destroy them. There, thieves do not break in and steal them. Your heart will be where your riches are, or where your treasure is. And this is exactly what the, the kids are learning out there. That's why I've got this wild west adventure thing because they're talking about the gold rush and how people go after gold but how we are to find treasure in christ that's the whole theme of what's going on out there but it's interesting that jesus addresses kind of two points really with these passages and he says, you know the one thing that, that money promises you, the, the one thing that you actually go after, the reason that you go after money is because you actually want security and significance. 
We want security and we want significance. And so we think that money is going to bring us that. But, but in these passages, Jesus is saying that is never going to happen. Money is never going to bring you that security and significance that it promises that it will. And uh, I'm thinking a lot at the moment about legacy and inheritance and things like that uh, because my parents have just signed a contract to, to sell their house. They're not into, they haven't found a new one yet, but they're sort of in the process of having to downsize everything. So it's our, the big family home that we all grew up in, that all our stuff is, is still in. Now, you know, they've, they've been married for almost 50 years and in the next three weeks, everything has to be out and they have to shift uh, somewhere. And so they're already now to this point where they're kind of saying, well, you four boys, you kind of need to take your inheritance now. We need to kind of get rid of all this stuff. So, you know, all this stuff that we've been accumulating that we thought was our treasure, that we thought was of worth, we can't actually take it with us to the next place. So, like, do you want, like, you know, we've got grandma's old dishes, you know, that, that she had and that we've kept, like, safe and well. And we've, we've got uh, the, the set of glasses from our wedding, like that we have never used because they were too good to use. Uh, but now we can't take them with us because we're downsizing. And so we kind of, so we want you to take your inheritance now. Like, please take it now. Like, and so they're trying to give away all this stuff because they've realized that they can't take it with them. And we kind of need to do the same when it comes to money. We need to realize that whatever we amass on earth here, we can't take it with us. That the inheritance that we think that we're leaving for our kids and our grandkids, that's actually not what Jesus is encouraging us, is he's saying, that's actually not the real inheritance. That's actually not the, like, if you, if you invest in, in, in property or if you invest in, in plates and glasses and trinkets and different things, all of that, is going to go. I want something more for you. That the, the true inheritance that you are leaving, the true legacy that you're leaving for the next generation is not going to be financial, but is going to be, are you actually bringing the next generation with you into eternity? That's what counts. And there's this teaching that often goes around, particularly in Pentecostal churches, called the prosperity gospel that basically teaches that if you give to God, God will give to you. And basically, that's talking about financially. So it sort of encourages people to, to give to God, generally so that the pastor can then take and not necessarily follow suit and give themselves but why would God want to build or invest in things that moth and thieves can steal kill and destroy 
Well, he wouldn't. So God is not necessarily in the business of the prosperity gospel, but he also challenges the same for us. He's like, why would you want to invest in something that is only temporary when I want to show you a picture of how you can invest in that which is eternal? So we look to money for security. But when it comes to money, our eye is often made dim. Because none of us think that it's us. Because we think, well, it's, it's the love of money and I don't have money. You can't love what you, what you don't have, but we kind of still love the idea of money. We kind of think, well, the love of money, that's for, that's for rich people, you know, who, you know, they're, they're sitting on their yacht, towing their jet skis, wearing their gold chains and their Prada, sipping champagne and eating caviar. Whereas me, I'm kind of allergic to seafood, and so I can't have the caviar. I would want to, but I kind of can't. What we want is we just, we want our kids to not go without. So we kind of say, well, I want my kids to not struggle financially the way that I did because that's what's going to give them a good life. So I'll send them to the, the best private school and we'll make sure that we take them to the swimming lessons and we'll make sure that they you know, learn how to play the saxophone because that's an essential life skill that every 12-year-old needs. Because if they can feel secure and basically do everything that they want, then I will feel secure as a person. And for me to be able to afford the, the private school and the, the saxophone lessons and, and all of that, I need money. And so it still comes back to that idea, even if we don't have it, we think that if we had enough money, it would bring security and make me feel okay as a parent, would make me feel okay as a person. But Jesus is saying that our vision has been darkened as we look to money to provide that which only Christ is supposed to provide for us. So Jesus isn't saying, I want you to just do away with security or significance. He's, what he is saying is, Money, the love of money, the love of what money can bring you is all only building that which is temporary. So Jesus doesn't want less in your wallet. He wants to give you more than the world. So the prosperity gospel is still ultimately about getting earthly things. Whereas... The perpetual gospel is finding significance and security in heavenly things. So if our eyes have become dimmed to money, what is then the picture? How can we lighten our eyes? What are we supposed to be aspiring to? Because we don't want our Christian walk to just become all about money and how much we give. So if it's not just about money, what are we called 
to give? Well, it depends on what you have. We can't give what we don't have. So what do you have? It depends on who you are. Now, I'm going to make some generalizations here. So this may not apply to you, but hopefully it will apply to most. Because one of the reasons that we gather together on a Sunday and that we are a multi-generational church is that the different generations do actually bring different things. If we can have that uh, slide up. Thank you, Austin. So here we have, as I said, this is some generalizations. Um, and it doesn't always apply to everybody. So sadly, I am middle-aged with a middle-aged spread to match. And uh, you can see there that on this graph... Uh, time is generally what middle-aged people are poor in. So when it comes to giving to God, generally for the middle-aged people, time is where we lack. Now, for me, that's different because uh, basically I'm paid my, my work, uh, so your tithes and offerings go to pay my wage, and uh, part of that is to, or all of that hopefully, is to invest into uh, church here. So for me, that that's different. But if you're in that middle-aged category, basically, we don't want you to feel guilty if you don't have time to serve on a team or to come to, uh, you know, Tuesday night greenhouse sessions or whatever because you've been so tired working flat out and then, you know, you're the taxi service uh, before and after school taking kids to your saxophone lessons. Um, we don't want you to feel guilty about that. But we, we need to know that we're part of a, a community and so where you might have lack. See, the beautiful thing about this is where there is lack, there's two other generations to cover the lack that you might have. And that's why we need each other. We need to uh, work and, and aspire to, you know, to, to be with each other and to invest into the church in, in different ways. And so, as I said at the start, I, I want to give you a picture. I want you to be able to see, just like how I saw, uh, you know, at the school, I want you to be able to see practically what this looks like. So we're going to do something really quickly just here. Jake, if I can get you to come and stand just up the front here. And uh, I don't know, is Walter in here? He was signing it. Walter, can you come and uh, stand down the front here? And, uh, and Anna, can you come and stand at the front here? So, now these guys, uh, they're, they're in, this, in this young age, but they're also, uh, they're also uh, pastors or pastors in, in training. And so, they have platform time and platform ministry. And sometimes particularly if you've come from a more traditional church or different places, you might think that the pastor is to be listened to above all else. And look, if that's your attitude, I'm your man. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but 
you see, the thing is, is that the young, they have plenty of time, but they kind of don't have a lot of, a lot of money. But they have a lot of energy. They have a lot of energy to give, a lot of energy to, to sow and invest into. And so these particular people, they've got a lot of energy, they've got a lot of time that they invest into young people, into the next generation. But their wisdom is kind of lacking a bit. <laughs> not because they don't, you know, not because they're not smart, not because they're not God-led, but just because of their age. They just haven't had life experience yet. So, David, can you come out here as well? Roger, can you come out here? And Janine, can you come out here as well, please? So... <laughs> David, do you maybe want to come over here? And Janine, do you want to come over here near Anna? So now, we won't, we won't call these guys old or senior. We'll, just, we'll call them wise. Is that, is that right? We'll call them wise. So again, this doesn't always hold true because... Not that. I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say something nice because... Next year, Roger turns 70. But he probably actually has more energy than the three 20-year-olds combined. <laughs> but here's the thing. like We can kind of think that it's this sort of cruel trick almost that when we get to this more senior age bracket, that this is the time more than ever that we're full of wisdom but we don't have the energy to outwork the wisdom that we've gained. So it seems like this kind of weird place, like why would God design it like that? But I think that God, it's not weird, it's not strange, it's designed perfectly for community. So what I want you to do, you three, I think Brahman's got a mic here. So whether it be, you can just give it to Janine. So... Just a prayer, a word of wisdom. It could be to do with finance. It could be to do with relationships. It could be spiritually. Uh, it could be to the one that you're standing next to. Or it could be to the group. Or it could be to all of the young people. So what is a word of wisdom that you three have that you can impart? This is supposed to be a picture. I know that this is probably a little bit scary for you guys because maybe you're not platform people. But this is courageous giving, and so we're going to give courageous words uh, of encouragement because this is how it's practically supposed to look. So, you ready, Janine? Do you want us to pray, or do you, like, you want us to close our eyes, or you want to just give a word? I think I'll give a word. And I would just encourage everybody, not only the young ones, but I would encourage everybody to hold fast to your faith. God will see you through whatever you come across, across or against, and he will be your provider, whether it be physically, materially, financially or whatever. Hold fast to our loving God. Beautiful. Beautiful. 
So I've got something I'd like to share that's rather similar, and that is the verse, trust the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And uh, we've been talking about sight and, and, and things this morning and uh, it's rather fitting because I've just got a problem with my eyesight. So I'm not <laughs> sure what that means. But, but in trusting the Lord, it doesn't matter what the situation is, that he will see you through. So I'm with Janine on that. <laughs> I would have to agree as well. And really... I don't agree because they've said it, but it is what's made my life worthwhile. And the real encouragement to the young people, you're really only going to get life's experiences by doing life, but you can get wisdom by prayer and surrender. And so as much as Josh indicated they're young, they're not dumb. (laughs) They have chosen the Lord the whole three of them and whenever you choose the Lord you'll come out in front so yeah that's my very good you guys can grab your seats thank you so much so just want to give a practical example a practical vision of that so we don't need to fear or feel guilty because we lack nor should we be proud because of what we possess. The pastors and the people on the platform are not superior than the people with maybe the gift of helps or hospitality as being inferior. As a community of courageous givers, united in the common purpose to fulfill the Great Commission uh, and grow the kingdom, we each just simply bring what we have. We give what we have. And those words don't mean that they're superior to the other people, but it means that our community gets better when we bring what we have. This is why when it does come to money, the tithe is a percentage and not a fixed amount. That in actual fact, if we kept to a basic standard of living, the more we earn, the greater percentage we should be free to give. But sadly, our eyes get dimmed as we make more money, and so the opposite is true. This is the statistics for church giving. So the poorest fifth of the church give 3.4% of their income. The richest fifth give 1.6%, half as much as the poorer members. And so again, I don't show these statistics to make us feel guilty. I show this again to paint a picture of what could be, of our best day as a church. Because if we can run a youth group, I think we had 103 young people here on, on Friday night, Uh, for youth. We probably had close to 80. I didn't actually do a count over there. I was popped into kids' church over there. Uh, A lot of our kids' church team are out with the guys uh, at the moment. We're now running two schools in Cambodia for, for street kids. The second school 
uh, has already been having 70 kids coming along uh, that we've only just started just a few months ago. Um, we run dozens of counselling appointments free of charge to the people here and to the community. We have in-home care and meals and like so many different things uh, provided. We're still supporting uh, the Sunday church plant. We've got five pastors that are in sort of a more intensive training program for future church plants or kingdom expansion, whatever that may look like. And if we can kind of do all of that on less than 3%, imagine if we could lift it to five. Can you see what God could do? Imagine if we followed the biblical precedents and we gave 10% to the house of God and then any additional giving on top of that, like when you buy a Christian book or you support Liberté Cafe or the different stuff, that that is actually on top of your tithe, not in place of your tithe, which was the biblical precedence. Imagine what could be on our best day. Now, some of you are thinking, Josh, but tithing is part of the old covenant, part of the old law. We don't live under the law anymore. We are under grace. And so we are, and grace is free. And so in the freedom of grace, I courageously choose to give nothing. Well, let's actually have a look at what the Bible says. Because when I read the scriptures... Living under grace actually calls us up to a higher standard of living. That grace is really giving us that picture of what it looks like on our best day. It gives us a picture like I saw that day in the school, like the kids themselves saw that day in school. Not of earning or performing, but because grace is worth so much, if we have actually received grace, if our eyes have been opened to what we have received and we can only give out of what we have and what we have is big, then what we can give is big. If you use grace as an excuse to give less, then what you have received isn't grace. Courageous generosity is the natural fruit that will result from a genuine grace encounter. So my aim today is not to make you feel guilty in order to give more. Guilty enough to tithe. My aim is to show you that there is more. Here's what Jesus himself said about giving 10% to God's house in the New Testament. Matthew 23, 23. He says, You should tithe, yes. But do not neglect the more important things. And the more important things that he's talking about is justice, mercy, and faith. So a tithe, the 10% is the start. It's the, it's the base model. And from there we go on to bring justice and mercy and faith to our community. 
Also, it should be noted that tithing actually never started with the law in the first place. For those people that use that as their excuse, well, that was the old law where under grace now, well, it never came in as part of the law. The law was given to Moses, but before that, a promise was given to Abraham. And Abraham, in response to the promise, in response in thankfulness and in gratitude, he instituted the first time that the tithe was given. And you can read that in Genesis 14, as it says uh, there, if we can have that up, thanks. Um, Keep going down to the next one. Keep going down. So it says, "Then Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. That was when the tithe was instituted in the beginning. So, if you ask the question, is tithing mandatory? Is it required for Christians? Then you've kind of missed the point. It's the wrong question to be asking. Now, it's true God doesn't need our money. But tithing isn't about money. Remember... God doesn't want our money, he wants our heart. And we read at the start in verse 21 of Matthew 6, your heart will always be where your treasure is. No one can serve two masters. So then what does courageous giving look like for us? Well, in the Old Testament, we were to give 10% out of thankfulness. But in the New Testament... We are to give a sacrifice out of love. It shouldn't be how little can I, can I give and get away with it. It should be how much can I give that actually causes me a sacrifice. If you've given so much that it changes your lifestyle, this is the new measure, this is the grace-inspired covenant of giving. Now, some of you, that is freaking you out and you're kind of like, you're asking me to give more than, like, it's going to affect my life. It's going to be a sack. It means that I can't buy some stuff. I, I don't know that I'm ready to do that. But I want to put one more condition on. But wait, there's more. There's one more condition that it has to be done with joy. That it has to be done with joy. If your treasure is still in earthly possessions and you're going to resent giving, don't give. Once God is your treasure, your true treasure, your treasure above all other treasures then you can give sacrificially and joyfully. So no joy, no give. My job isn't to make you give against your will or ratchet up the guilt so much that you feel obligated to give. My job is to show you a picture of a joy 
so great that you can give sacrificially and still have joy. And that picture is Jesus on the cross. When we look to him, this is what we see. Hebrews 12.2 Looking on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who having joy set before him endured the cross. The cross was big. The cross is the, the biggest thing in, in history. But Jesus' joy over you was bigger. So he gave the sacrifice of his very own life joyfully. The joy was what he kept before him. So the question is, how big is our joy in response? If it is whatever is left at the end of the week that's not going to affect your lifestyle, my prayer is that your joy will increase. If the level of your joy is 3%, as is the average... I pray that your joy gets bigger. Let me give you one final picture of how big your joy can be. Uh, when we were in the UK a couple of months ago, we met a lady from North Korea. We couldn't know her name, we couldn't take photos of her because she had been arrested three times for being a Christian, thrown into prison. And she escaped all three times. She fled from prison. She fled across the border. But the secret police found her, even in other countries, each time and brought her back to prison just for being a Christian. And so she's there. She's in this prison cell, a small cell with 90 other people in the cell. Not even enough room for everyone to lie down and sleep. So they had to sleep in shifts and maybe you could get a bit of extra time asleep because if someone would get up and go to the bathroom you would lose your spot and someone could could take your spot on the ground because the bathroom was the only place where you could get alone and be isolated because there was one bathroom for 90 people and if it was anything like I was talking to some of the guys in in Baghdad, in Iraq, that had spent time in prison there for their faith. And uh, no flushing water, just a hole, so they would give them laxatives so that they could go as quickly as possible and shut the, the hole because the smell was so horrific. So she's there and she's praying to God and God says... I want you to share your faith. And she's thinking, oh, God, I'm already in prison for sharing my faith. There's 90 people in this cell. There's nowhere that I can get alone that I can share my faith. If I try to share with one person, 89 other people are going to hear and then they're going to kill me on the spot. But she thought, God, I can only give what I have. So you tell me how I can share 
this faith, this hope that I do have, that I want to give, but I just don't know how I can do that. So she said God, she believed, gave her, gave her this strategy. So first of all, for a number of months, she was to share her food. And you might think, well, you know, from our context, sharing your food, that's a nice thing to do. Josh, I, I do see that you are getting a bit of a middle-aged spread. And like, if you were to share your food, it would be better off for you. But for her, she comes from a totally different context. She was getting two cups of rice a week. Not two cups and something else, not bitter chicken, not, no. Two cups was everything that she had. And so for months, month after month, day after day, week after week, she would give half of her food away to the different people in her cell so that they all knew that there was something bigger, that there was this joy that she had that was bigger than anything that they knew, bigger than anything that a cup of rice could offer her, but they also knew that she was for them. Then after months of doing this, she decided that she would forego her sleep. And so she sat beside the toilet because it was the one place where people would come in isolation. And so she sat at the toilet with that horrific smell in the mess. And when people would come one at a time to go to the toilet, she would then share her faith in Christ with them. And so with nothing, she had no Bible, she had no church, she had no one praying for her, no one helping her, not the support of everything, not the security of a bank account, not anything. But she gave what she had and in the most unlikely place on the face of the planet, at a toilet, in a prison cell in North Korea, people found faith. People found Christ. People found hope. And as she's telling us this story, there was a joy that was upon her face, a joy that I can only describe as a joy that moth and rust could not take away because it was not found in a cup of rice and it was not found in some wedding glasses and it was not found in a financial portfolio but it was found in Jesus it was a joy that was not in spite of her sacrifice but because of it because she had found something bigger than even her earthly life itself. Something that she could give her very life to. Because Christ had given his life for her. And my prayer for us all this morning, if we can stand, is that you would find a joy like that.
that you would become courageous givers. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the cross, for the joy set before you, that in this room right now, there is a joy, a joy that you want to give to people, a joy that cannot be taken away by situation or by circumstance, a joy that is not found because of the number of zeros in our bank account, a safety and a security that can only be found in you. And so, Lord, as we embark on this this journey together of becoming courageous givers, Lord, we pray that you would give us each a picture, that you would show us the community that you would have us live in, that you would have us be a part of. Help us, Lord, to bring whatever we have, not just our finances, but our time, our our energy, the skills, the talents that you have given to us. Lord, we want to give out of what you have first given to us. And so, Father, right now, we give you our worship as a sign of thanks and gratefulness for what you have done. Let's worship, church.